Hello, and welcome to Travel Along, the podcast where you travel along with me. I'm your host, Laura Lisensky, and this is going to be a bit of a different episode. I want to do a few episodes where instead of bringing you along with me on my current travels, I'm going to recount some of my best travel stories. So this one won't have the usual tips and tricks, but I hope it will be a great story. So in this episode, I want to take you back to one of the craziest adventures I've ever had. I'll be bringing you along on a trip to the Amazon region of Peru. Getting to the starting point of the tour was a journey in itself. And then there were five days in a canoe. And most importantly, we're going to answer the question of why you aren't supposed to, according to the Lonely Planet, do a canoe trip through the Amazon during the rainy season. Thank you so much to my new supporters on Patreon. I have three now. They include my ex-girlfriend and my mother, both of whom I appreciate very much. This episode goes out to Sarah Alexander, my very first patron who has never seen me naked. I appreciate you. So come along with me to the jungles of Peru. An adventure is just a misfortune correctly understood. I cannot find the source of this quote, but it has always spoken to me. So I'm bringing you back to March of 2009. My ex-husband and I were about ready to have babies and settle down, become true adults. And then he said, or we could quit our jobs and travel around the world. And I said, yes, that is a better idea. So that huge around-the-world trip gradually got whittled down uh, to a more reasonable all-through-South America trip. We amazingly spent 10 months going through Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia. And probably my favorite adventure from that entire time was this trip to the Amazon. So as we were traveling, we kept a travel blog, mostly just to keep our friends and family updated. But it's a great resource for me now because I can go back to that first person account. So in this episode, I'm going to be reading you some of my blog and also embellishing it with other things that I can remember and my current perspective now. So to help us imagine this long journey to the Amazon that we had to make in the first place, I want to read for you a blog entry that I called The Seatbelt Dance. We spend a lot of time on the road. From big buses, to vans, to cars, to moto taxis, we are accustomed to sitting and watching things go by. Or not go by. Landslides need clearing, construction needs constructing. We now consider an eight-hour ride brief and may spend three or four consecutive days on dusty roads. That was certainly the case in getting to the Amazon. 
After some rough travel in Bolivia, we were happy to find out that in Peru, there are actually quite a few laws governing cars. For example, people in the front seat must wear seat belts. However, the result of this law is usually just people constantly taking their seat belts off and on as we pass police checkpoints throughout the ride. Even better, many drivers drape the seatbelt across their laps but don't buckle it. Long-distance taxis are also allowed to have only four passengers. We really appreciate this law, but this law too is not always followed. Recently, in a car with two extra people crammed in, the driver kept stopping all the passing cars to ask about something. We thought there was an accident or a bridge out up ahead, but the problem turned out to be a police checkpoint. We figured this out when he asked the two extra passengers to get out and walk. At the checkpoint, the police checked our driver's papers and the required first aid kit. All the passengers tried to be subtle as we watched for the walkers in the rearview mirror. We thought we were in the clear as we pulled around the first curve and stopped to wait for the rest of our car to catch up with us. There was a brief scare as two policemen passed us on a motorcycle, but our driver ingeniously pretended to be peeing, or possibly was peeing, but as he got back in the car, more policemen came along, pulled over, and waved us past them. We couldn't keep the charade up any longer. We had to keep driving and abandoned our former passengers. Travel within cities is fun because of moto taxis. These are more like a motorcycle tricycle with a little covering around the outside. They are cheap and the two of us in our bags fit comfortably. As we travel into the Amazon basin, farther and farther away from paved roads and then from roads at all, cars became rarer and moto taxis crowded the city streets. Ever since I was a kid, I dreamed of visiting the Amazon. I used to wade down Little Turtle Creek in my hometown, imagining that I was an explorer charting unknown places. I would happily pick off leeches, imagining what wonderfully diverse parasites could be found in the Amazon. So I was thrilled as we came down out of the Peruvian mountains to see things gradually getting greener and wetter and undeniably more Amazonian. The Amazon basin extends not just into Brazil, but also Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia. We were on our way to see a piece of Peru's buggy paradise. So we arrived in the city of Yurimaguas, which is kind of a launching point and where most people find a tour guide if they want to do a trip in the Amazon. Now, our trusty Lonely Planet South America guidebook that we had been traveling with this whole time, after all the information it has, simply says, and I quote, avoid visiting during the rainy season. And that's it. No explanation, nothing. So we thought, well, let's just go and see. We'll see if people are still doing tours. In retrospect, of course the people we wanted to pay money to take us into the Amazon were willing to take us into the Amazon. So we looked around, we talked to a few different people, we found a reputable local little tour company that set us up with a guide. Now Yuri Maguas is the end of the road. From here on out we would have to travel 
on a boat. So we were headed now to the village of Lagunas to meet our guides. We boarded a boat similar to the one in the photo. I put some of these pictures on my Patreon if you want to see what all of this looked like. This was a two-level, fairly large wooden boat with a big loud engine and very crowded. And this was traveling like the locals for sure. If we weren't the only tourists on that boat, we were certainly among the few. Ours had no cow like the one in the photo, but the next day there was someone with a pet spider monkey. This was one of those amazing moments when you are sure that you have never lived this day or any day like it before. It was completely surreal. Every available space on the boat was crammed full of hammocks. We had brought our own hammocks for the night. We laid back to relax as people climbed over and under us trying to navigate the hammock maze and waited for the boat to leave. Six hours later, we were still waiting, but the broken engine turned out to be for the best. We had a chance to buy a few more things we needed, and the next day we were on the cheaper local direct, quote-unquote, which was much less crowded. So I'm going to jump in here with my present self 14 years later. Because when I think about this trip, especially the part when we are just trying to get to the start of our Amazonian tour, I just remember the feeling of slow travel. There's nothing like it. We had all the time in the world, something I rarely have anymore when I travel. We had no choice but to just slow down, let things roll off our back, What we were doing that day is trying to get a boat, and when it didn't work, we tried again the next day. I remember sitting there waiting for this boat. At the side of the river, there was a tiny little bar where we hung out for most of the day with our trusty deck of cards. That deck of cards was probably the single most important thing we had on this trip. We had no phones at the time. All there was to do was just be present. So when we finally got to Lagunas, we met Antero and Goigo for our jungle adventure slash misfortune. I'll let you decide. This canoe was to be our world for the next five days. This is the wet season and the water was almost at its highest point, often 30 to 50 feet above the level in the dry season. We were gliding over treetops. Sometimes we turned into the forest onto what would have been a path. I was so amazed at our guide's knowledge of the jungle, I would have been lost immediately. The first night we stayed with a family in Seis de Julio, the only village we would pass on our trip. 
The houses there were all up on stilts to allow for the water level to rise every year. They were very simple wooden structures. Whenever you left your house, you just climbed into your canoe. We saw kids canoeing around by themselves. We saw a tiny little local schoolhouse, also on stilts. And we were just beginning to understand the quantity of mosquitoes that we would be facing. Despite hiding in the mosquito net whenever possible, and using an entire stick of repellent, I ended the trip with 337 itchy bites. I must have been able to count because I had nothing but time on my hands. With our lunch of rice, spaghetti, and potatoes, we also realized that we were looking at a very carbohydrate-filled week. After eating our body weight in rice, while doing nothing but sitting for many days, we felt like we would never need to eat again. Now it turns out there are a few problems with visiting this area in the rainy season. First of all, any animals that rely on land have fled in search of it. This means you can't see a lot of the things tourists come here to see. The most disappointing loss was the anaconda. However, there were still incredible animals. We saw sloths, lots of kinds of monkeys, river dolphins, snakes, iguanas, frogs, and many, many, many insects and spiders. We saw this one spider. It looked kind of like the size of a tarantula. But as we got closer to it, it was pure white and crystallized. My theory is that it was destroyed by some kind of fungus, and then that crystallized spider shape was left behind. Go check out my photos if you want to see it. But the most challenging problem was that we wanted land too. First of all, it's not possible to pee out the side of a tippy dugout canoe. Instead, you must put on really cool rubber boots and seek out somewhere shallow enough for a rare excursion outside the canoe. While your guides politely and discreetly leave you alone to do your business. And we so rarely found any land that what that often looked like was finding a nice, perfect tree branch that was horizontal above the water. We would climb out onto the tree branch, the guides would paddle away, and we would do our business. It was really, truly a vulnerable moment to be perched on a tree alone in the Amazon counting on other people to come back for you. Also, I had heard about this parasite that swims up your pee if you pee directly into the water, so I also spent a lot of time doing acrobatics trying to pee on other branches below me instead of directly into the water. It was quite an adventure. Finding a place to camp was a constant worry, too. Each and every day, we wondered how, if we couldn't find any land, we would manage to get any sleep at all with four people in this canoe. Our guides knew all the places we could camp, and we glided past dozens of underwater options. So that next night, we were relieved when we came across a little piece of land. But our hearts sank as we pulled up for a better look. This wasn't exactly land, as much as a pile of mud teeming with bees and mean-looking ants. You can imagine, as the water level goes up, those insects get concentrated on those little bits of land. Don't worry, Ontario promised us. We'll make you a nice bed, and the ants won't climb up. 
We'll be right back. We just have to go chop something down. So they left us on our little mud pile. As they took off in our canoe, Neil and I perched like king and queen on our own pile of mud. We wondered what we had gotten ourselves into. I do remember having quite a moment. We had brought a bottle of whiskey with us and we decided this would be a good moment to have a little calm our nerves as we sat there and imagined the scenario if they did not return. But our guides eventually returned with a pile of palm fronds and set to making camp. We stood back awkwardly as they built a bed out of logs and palm fronds, raising us above the ants. They set us up with a mosquito net and a tarp, and the bed was quite inviting. Actually slept pretty well and nothing came in. The next day held the same concerns, but again we managed to find land. This time the site was a little more promising. We had lovely sponge baths next to the river, but not in it due to the piranhas. We even went fishing with a fishing rod that Ontario had made that morning. So him and Goigo were great at spotting animals. We saw some fascinating things. My favorite was the howler monkeys. They have this haunting cry that can be heard for miles. One night, just as dusk began to hit, we were having no luck finding land. The air was charged with this ominous approaching thunderstorm. We were following the sound of some howler monkeys. This otherworldly sound can only be described as a cross between wind blowing through trees, a jet engine, and scary monsters. We got closer and closer and finally spotted them. The sound of these creatures above my head in the rain is one I will always remember. Another of my favorite moments was when we hit an expansive junction of two rivers. Ontario was just explaining that we would be likely to see river dolphins here when one of them jumped into the air. We were soon surrounded by dozens of pink dolphins. We played with them by hitting the canoe and slapping our paddles against the water. They would smack their fins back at us. They swam around us and under us, blowing bubbles that we could feel running the length of the boat. We found them swimming beside us frequently for the rest of the day. So that final night, we never did find land. But since we were only five more hours from the end of the trip, we elected to keep going all the way to Lagunas instead of spending the night in the canoe. It turned out to be a great choice. Some moments were creepy maneuvering through narrow jungle paths, watching for animals by the light of our flashlight. Some moments were peaceful, gliding through a lake so still that the stars were perfectly reflected on its surface. There were stars above us and below us. 
But the best part was that once we got back to the main river, our exhausted guides could finally stop paddling. We got that bottle of whiskey back out and passed it around as we floated back to Lagunas under the stars. And then we got to meet our guides' families and see how they lived, sleep on their floor for the last few hours of the night. It was a great way to end a great trip. So I don't know if the Lonely Planet guidebook says don't go to the Amazon during the rainy season. Should you not go to the Amazon during the rainy season? I'm still not sure of that answer. I think I would do it again. So what do you think? Would you go on an adventure like this? If your guidebook said, don't go during the rainy season, would you follow that advice? I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can tell me if you find Travel Along Podcast on Patreon. You can see the pictures from this episode and all the others. You can also follow me on Instagram or email me at travelalongpodcast at gmail.com. Coming up next, in our next episode, I will be in the state of Oaxaca in Mexico. I'll start on Puerto Escondido at the coast. I'll be volunteering at a sea turtle conservation place there, and then heading down the beach a little ways to Zipolite. Thanks for traveling along with me.